This is the Glorious People Horror Stories Podcast. Welcome, dear friend. It's so nice of you to join me. I'm Robert Crandall, and you're a glorious person for listening. Our website is horrorstoriespodcast.com. And on that website, you can buy me a coffee, like Andy Schick did recently. And he said, me and my wife listen to this before we sleep. Excellent. Thank you. And uh, they said, thank you. <laughs> so I'm, And I'm saying, thank you, Andy, and your wife for the coffee. I enjoyed it very much as I uh, always do. I'm addicted and a coffeeholic. Drink, drink, drink coffee. And uh, you can buy me a coffee as well. You can go to buymeacoffee.com forward slash Robert Crandall, which is, by the way, C-R-A-N-D-A-L-L. And uh, I would appreciate it very, very much. And I hope you'll invite a friend to join us. Uh, I'm not aggressive in the usual marketing uh, activities uh, that most podcasts do. I just kind of rely on word of mouth. And so we have a kind of an esoteric uh, podcast here for us. Now, in our feature story, a stranger moves into a small village and is welcomed and performs many good things for the people who live in this small town. But things take a turn for the worse, and the inhabitants begin to fear and dread this man. I hope you enjoy The Gray Man by Sarah Ornay Duet. High on the southern slopes of the Acumenticus, there may still be seen the remnant of an old farm. Frost-shaken stone walls surround a vast, narrowing expanse of smooth turf, which the forest is overgrowing on every side. The cellar is nearly filled up, never having been either wide or deep, and the fruit of a few mossy apple trees drops ungathered to the ground. Along one side of the forsaken garden is a thicket of seedling cherry trees, to which the shouting robins come year after year, in busy flights. The caterpillar's nests are unassailed and populous in this untended hedge. At night, perhaps, when summer twilights are late in drawing their brown curtain of dusk over the great rural scene, at night an owl may sit in the hemlocks nearby and hoot and shriek until the far echoes answer back again. As for the few men and women who pass this deserted spot, most will be repulsed by such loneliness. We'll even grow impatient for those mistaken fellow beings who choose to live in solitude, away from neighbors, from schools, and yes, even from gossip and the petty care of self or knowledge, of the trivial fashions of a narrow life. Now and then, one looks out from this eerie, across the widespread country, who turns to look at the sea, 
or toward the shining foreheads of the mountains that guard the inland horizon, who will remember the place long afterward. A peaceful vision will come, full of rest and benediction into busy and troubled hours, to those who understand why someone came to live in this place so near the sky, so silent, so full of sweet air and woodland fragrance, so beaten and buffeted by winter storms and garlanded by summer greenery, where the birds are the nearest neighbors in a clear spring the only wine cellar, in trees of the forest the choir of singers, who rejoice and sing aloud by day and night as the winds sweep over. Under the cherry thicket, or at the edge of the woods, you may find a strayaway blossom. Some half-savage slender grandchild of the old flower plots that you gather gladly to take away, and every year in June a red rose blooms towards which the wild pink roses and the pale sweet briars turn wandering faces, as if a queen had shown her noble face suddenly at a peasant's festival. There is everywhere a token remembrance of silence and secrecy. Some strong nature once ruled these neglected trees and this fallow ground. They will wait the return of their master as long as roots can creep through the mold and the mold make way for them. The stories of strange lives have been whispered to the earth. Their thoughts have burned themselves into the cold rocks. As one looks from the lower country toward the long slope of the great hillside, this old abiding place marks the dark covering of trees like a scar. There is nothing to hide, either the sunrise or the sunset. The lowlands reach out of sight into the west, and the sea fills all the east. The first owner of the farm was a seafaring man who had, through freak or fancy, come ashore and cast himself upon the bounty of nature for support in his later years. Though tradition keeps a suspicion of buried treasure and of a dark history, he cleared his land and built his house. But save the fact that he was a Scotsman, no one knew to whom he belonged. And when he died, the state inherited the unclaimed property. The only piece of woodland that was worth anything was sold and added to another farm. And the dwelling place was left to the sunshine and the rain, to the birds that built their nest in the chimney or under the eaves. Sometimes a strolling company of country boys would find themselves near the house on a holiday afternoon, but the more dilapidated the small structure became, the more they believed that some uncanny existence possessed the lonely place, and the path that led toward the clearing at last became almost impassable. Once a number of officers and men in the employ of the Coast Survey were encamped at the top of the mountain, and they smoothed the road track that led down to the spring that bubbled up from under a sheltering edge. One day a laughing fellow, 
not content with peering into the small windows of the house, put his shoulder against the rain-blackened door and broke the simple fastening. He hardly knew that he was afraid as he first stood within the single spacious room. So complete a curiosity took possession of him. The place was clean and bare. The empty cupboard door stood open, and yet the sound of his companions' voices outside seemed far away, and an awful sense that some unseen inhabitant followed his footsteps made him hurry out again, pale and breathless to the fresh air and sunshine. Was this really a dwelling place of spirits, as it had been already hinted? The story grew more fearful and spread quickly like a mist of terror among the lowland farms. For years, the tale of the coast surveyor's adventure in the haunted house was slowly magnified and told to strangers or to wide-eyed children by the dim firelight. The former owner was supposed to linger still about his old home and was held accountable for deep offense in choosing for the scene of his unsuccessful husbandry, a place that escaped the properties and restraints of life upon the lower levels. His grave was concealed by the new growth of oaks and beeches, and many a lad and full-grown man beside has taken to his heels at the flicker of light from across the swamp or under a decaying tree in that neighborhood. As the world in some respects grew wiser, the good people near the mountain understood less and less the causes of these simple effects, and as they became familiar with the visible world, grew more shy of the unseen and more sensitive to the unexplained foreboding. One day a stranger was noted in town as a stranger is sure to be who goes his way with quick, furtive steps straight through a small village or along a country road. This man was tall and had just passed middle age. He was well-made and vigorous. There was an unusual pallor in his face, a grayish look, as if he had been startled by bad news. His clothes were somewhat peculiar, as if they had been made in another country, yet they suited the chilly weather, being homespun of undyed wools, just the color of his hair, and only a little darker than his face or hands. Someone observed in one brief glance, as he and this gray man met and passed each other, that his eyes had a strange faded look. They might, however, flash and be coal black in a moment of rage, Two or three persons stepped forward to watch the wayfarer as he went along the road with long, even strides, like one taking a journey on foot, but he quickly reached a turn of the way and was out of sight. They wondered who he was. One recalled some recent advertisement of an escaped criminal, and another the appearance of a native of the town who was supposed to be long ago lost at sea but one surmiser knew as little as the next. If they had followed fast enough, they might have tracked the mysterious man straight across the country, threading the byways, the shorter paths that led across the fields, 
where the road was roundabout and hindering. At last he disappeared in the leafless, trackless woods that skirted the mountain. That night there was, for the first time in many years, a twinkling light in the window of the haunted house. High on the hill's great shoulder, one farmer's wife and another looked up curiously, while they wondered what daring human being had chosen that awesome spot of all others for his home or even a transient shelter. The sky was already heavy with snow. He might be a fugitive from justice, and the startled people looked to the fastening of their doors unwantedly that night and waked often from troubled sleep. An instinctive curiosity and alarm possessed the country men and women for a while, but soon faded out and disappeared. The newcomer was by no means a hermit. He tried to be friendly and inclined toward a certain kindliness and familiarity. He bought a comfortable store of winter provisions from his new acquaintances, giving everyone his price, and spoke more at length, as time went on, of current events, of politics, and of the weather, and the town's own news and concerns. There was a sober cheerfulness about the man, as if he had known trouble and perplexity, and was fulfilling some mission that gave him pain." yet he saw some gain and reward beyond. Therefore, he could be contented with his life and such strange surroundings. He was more and more eager to form brotherly relations with the farmers near his home. There was almost a pleading look in his face at times, as if he feared the later prejudice of his associates. Surely this was no common or uneducated person, for in every way he left the stamp of his character and influence upon men and things. His reasonable words of advice and warning are current as sterling coins in that region yet. To one man he taught a new rotation of crops. To another he gave some priceless cures for devastating diseases of cattle. The lonely women of those remote country homes learned of him how to achieve their household toil with less labor and drudgery. And here and there he singled out promising children and kept watch of their growth, giving freely a most affectionate companionship and a fair start in the journey of life. He taught those who were guardians of such children to recognize and further the true directions and purposes of existence and the easily warped natures grew strong and well-established under his thoughtful care. No wonder that some people were filled with amazement and thought his wisdom supernatural from so many proofs that his horizon was wider than their own. Perhaps some envious soul, or one aggrieved by being caught in treachery or deception, was the first to find fault with the stranger. The prejudice against his dwelling place and the superstition which had become linked to him in consequence may have led back to the first suspicious attitude of the community. The whisper of distrust soon started on an evil way. If he were not a criminal, his past was surely a hidden one. And shocking to his remembrance, 
But the true foundation of all dislike was the fact that the gray man who went to and fro, living his simple, harmless life among them, never was seen to smile. Persons who remember him speak of this with a shudder, for nothing is more evident than that his peculiarity became at length intolerable to those whose minds lent themselves readily to suspicion. At first blinded by the gentle good fellowship of the stranger, the changeless expression of his face was scarcely observed. But as the winter wore away, he was watched with renewed disbelief and dismay. After the first few attempts at gaiety, nobody tried to tell a merry story in his presence. The most conspicuous of a joker's audience does a deep rankling injustice if he sits with unconscious, unamused face at the receipt of raillery. What a chilling moment when the gray man softly opened the door of a farmhouse kitchen and seated himself like a skeleton at the feast of walnuts and roasted apples beside the glowing fire. The children whom he treated so lovingly, to whom he ever gave his best, though they were won at first by his gentleness, when they began to prattle and play with him would raise their innocent eyes to his face and hush their voices and creep away out of sight. Once only was he bidden to a wedding, but never afterward, for a gloom was quickly spread through the boisterous company. The man who never smiled had no place at such a festival. The wedding guests looked over their shoulders again and again in strange foreboding while he was in the house and were burdened with a sense of coming woe for the newly married pair. As one caught sight of his, among the faces of the rural folk, the gray man was like a somber mask, and at last the bridegroom flung open the door with a meaning gesture, and the stranger went out, like a hunted creature, into the bitter coldness and silence of the winter night. Through the long days of the next summer, the outcast of the wedding, forbidden at length, all the once proffered hospitality was hardly seen from one week's end to another's. He cultivated his poor estate with patient care and the successive crops of his small garden, the fruits and berries of the wilderness, were food enough. He seemed unchangeable and was always ready when he even guessed at a chance to be of use. If he were repulsed, he only turned away and went back to his solitary home. Those persons who by chance visited him there tell wonderful tales of the wild birds which had been tamed to come at his call and cluster about him, of the orderliness and delicacy of his simple life. The once neglected house was covered with vines that he had brought from the woods and planted about the splintering, decaying walls. There were three or four books in worn bindings on a shelf above the fireplace. One longs to know what volumes this mysterious exile had chosen to keep him company. There may have been a deeper reason for the withdrawal of the friendliness. There are vague rumors of the gray man's possession of strange powers.
Some say that he was gifted with amazing strength, and once, when some belated hunters found shelter at his fireside, they told eager listeners afterward that he did not sleep, but sat by the fire reading gravely while they slumbered uneasily on his own bed of boughs. And in the dead of night, an empty chair glided silently toward him across the floor as he softly turned his pages in the flickering light. But such stories are too vague, and in that neighborhood too common to weigh against the true dignity and bravery of the man. At the beginning of the War of the Rebellion, he seemed strangely troubled and disturbed, and presently disappeared, leaving his house key with a neighbor, as if for a few days' absence. He was last seen, striding rapidly through the village a few miles away, going back along the road by which he had come a year or two before. No, not last seen, either. For in one of the first battles of the war, as the smoke suddenly lifted, a farmer's boy reared in the shadow of the mountain opened his languid, pain-dulled eyes as he lay among the wounded and saw the gray man riding by on a tall horse. At that moment, the poor lad thought in his faintness and fear that death himself rode by in the gray man's likeness, unsmiling death, who tries to teach and serve mankind so that he may at last win welcome as a faithful friend. You've been listening to The Gray Man by Sarah Ornay Jewett, who once said, What has made this nation great? Not its heroes, but its households. I'm glad we could be together for this episode. I've enjoyed being with you but now I must go. I hope to be with you again soon. Please be well, and thank you for listening to me.